0: So, Lord, we, um, we acknowledge again and we declare and proclaim you're the perfect Father, you're the good Father in the full sense of the word good, good and perfect in ways that those of us who are dads on earth will never be. But you are. You're all of those things. You set the standard for parenthood. You set the standard for love for your children, You set the standard, and although we fall short of that, Lord, and though our experience of our own dads, our own earthly fathers, often fall short of that, you redefine fatherhood. You redefine parenthood. You redefine what it means to be a good, perfect, loving father. And we come to you as your kids, sometimes bruised and broken and Beaten up by life and sometimes by our own failures or the failures of uh, our fathers. But we come to you with open hearts to receive your goodness and your grace in Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you make that real to us this morning? Would you heal our hearts? Would you inspire us with your example of God the Father? and his love for the world. And may my words, human and frail and flawed as they are, may my words this morning somehow by your miracle be used by you to speak your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please take a seat. Luke, so, so wonderful to have you back. Welcome back, mate. And uh, what, a great, uh, what a great service so far. Thank you to everyone uh, who, um, who's taken part. Josh, Libby, um, thank you so much for hosting. might have already headed upstairs. Uh, and apologies for those of you who were here last week. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I was struck down by a mysterious illness. Uh, I tested. I did a PCR test, a rat test. Came back negative but then I went for a PCR, wasn't COVID, wasn't flu A, wasn't flu B, wasn't RSV. They haven't yet devised a test for man flu. <laughs> I don't know why that is, they can't detect it. <sighs> anyway, <clears throat> there was anecdotal evidence, um, if not scientific, <laughs> empirical evidence, uh, that I was crook. So thank you to everyone who stepped in, particularly Isaac. Uh, I was disappointed to, to miss uh, Liam Barrett's dedication uh, But uh, Isaac stepped in, so thank you so much to him and to everyone uh, who stepped in. By the way, happy Father's Day, just add my own uh, blessings, just give me a moment. My family actually dared me to preach in this this morning, but they also admitted that it might be quite distracting, Um, so I'm just, it's just going to make a cameo appearance this morning, but there we are. And I'm not sure I can claim that title anyway. I do try. But... So happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> might be a Freudian slip. You see, I turned 50 in a couple of weeks. And I think it's kind of hanging over my head a little bit, that, uh, that idea. Uh, happy Father's Day uh, is what I should say. Happy Father's Day to you all. <clears throat> all right. Hi again to all our online viewers, welcome, so good to have you with us. Uh, And a special hello if you are visiting with us this morning, online or in person. Uh, We're so glad you came, and if all of this is a bit new and strange, uh, some of it's still strange to us, uh, who've been here for a long time, but we hope that, in the words of Aldi, it's good different. Uh, And maybe uh, you not only feel welcome, but you feel the presence or a touch from God, our loving Father to you this morning. (laughs) And a pie for all the dads, Uh, might even be from Aldi. Uh, Good on you. All right. Hey, even if you aren't a regular churchgoer, you may well be familiar with, if not the story of the prodigal son, at least the idea of the prodigal, you know, returning, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter returning home, Uh, comes the idea Comes from this parable, sometimes called the parable of the lost son, sometimes the prodigal son. It comes from this story that Jesus tells in the book of Luke in the New Testament in the Bible. Now, in some Bibles, I it's, say it's entitled differently, but um, it's found in chapter 15 uh, of Luke's gospel. The story is the same. Now, a parable, if you're wondering, is a short story, a made up story, meant to make a point about the reality of God and God's relationship to the world. And Jesus spoke often in these kind of stories um, to to give us a glimpse of what it means uh, to know God and to uh, live uh, His way under His reign. If you like, excuse me, just one moment. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Not going to last till the end of the sermon. Believe me, that was better than the alternative. Um, it's that anecdotal evidence I was talking about. Anyway, so uh, in this particular parable, Jesus tells of two sons uh, who grow up in a, in a wealthy estate, uh, but life on the farm is kind of laid back, and it's more than one of the younger, than the younger son can hack. So eager for pleasure and adventure, this younger son demands from his father his share of the inheritance, even though his dad's still alive. It's like, dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I kind of wish you were, can you just pay up now? He turns his back on his family and sets off into the world, determined to chart his own path in life. And in this case, he charts a path towards the bright lights, the back street bars, and the brothels of the ancient world. I'm kind of riffing a little bit there, but seems to be what's implied. But squandering his money with no steady income stream, he soon finds himself with a cash flow problem. Soon he's no longer living his best life. And his fair-weathered Facebook friends find other cashed-up rich kids to freeload from. And if he'd had an Instagram feed, you'd have seen a sharp decline in his status as an influencer. Uh, Not only that, but also his accommodation. And as famine sweeps the country, he's out of cash and options, landing at last in the most desperate and degrading circumstances a good Jewish boy could ever have dreamt of. He lands... In the squalor of a pig pen reduced to eating the scraps and slops he's given to feed the pigs by the farmer from whom he begs work and in the depths of his despair he comes to his senses and though he knows he's shunned and shamed his father and family he realizes that he'd be better off as a lowly servant in his father's house than sleeping rough in a pigsty so he strikes out for home rehearsing an apology, anticipating an icy reception. But even as he turns in the drive, his father sees him from afar and rushes to embrace this long-lost prodigal. Many of us know the story well. And the father throws a huge welcome home party, a totally unexpected outcome, in an honor-shame society With none of our contemporary commitment to unconditionally loving our children. And although he shunned and shamed his father and family, his father refuses to return the favour. Instead, the father lavishes the long lost son with love and a feast of forgiveness. But the twist in the tale is when the older brother who's been faithfully working the farm all these years, comes in from the field only to hear of his brother's return. And he is justly, some would say, angered by the party preparations in full swing. And he complains to his father, he says, all these years I've been slaving away for you. I've never disobeyed you like that one. And here you are celebrating someone who's squandered your money and shamed your name. which his father replies, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and now is found. Well, it's a timeless story of redemption, isn't it? And it It finds itself, even even today, it finds its way into the plot lines of our popular culture in TV series and movies and things. But imagine for a minute with me, if you would, if the plot line went a little bit differently, if we rewound and told the story a little bit differently. Imagine if it starts the same, with the prodigal... Son demanding his inheritance, turning his back on his father and family, setting out towards the bright lights, the back street bars and the brothels of the ancient world. But imagine now that sometime later, the older brother comes in from the far fields to find his father gazing achingly down the road. Tears silently spilling down his cheeks. And imagine the older older son. Following the father's gaze, asks, Father, has it, has it happened? And his father replies, yes, he's gone. Imagine then the older son says, we always knew it would come to this. I know what I have to do. To which the father replies, I know it's what we've planned. But now that it's here, are you sure? Do you know what it will cost you? And the older son says, Father, you and I have always been together. The cost to us both is great. But yes, I'm sure. Imagine then the older brother puts on his traveling cloak and heads off into the far country, to the cities and towns, the villages, the backstreet bars and brothels, searching, ever searching for his long-lost brother. And finally, in that faraway land, he comes to a farm. And there, amid the mess and the muck and the scraps and the slops, is his prodigal brother. Broken and browbeaten, the younger brother blinks with amazement and wonder at his brother. And he says, what are you doing here? to which his brother replies, brother, you are the son of our father who is a wealthy man and a man of immense love. You should not be living here in this hellhole. I've come to see you home. To which the brother choking back the tears, I'm going to need the hanky myself in a moment again. uh, Put that there. To which his brother choking back the tears says this, But I have shunned and shamed my father and my family. And what's more, I'm not free. I had to sell myself into slavery to be able to eat the scraps that I feed to the pigs here. Imagine then that the older brother replies, I know, but I have come to take your place. You are free. Go home to our Father. Well, imagine if that was the story. Because in so many ways, that is the story. It's not the story that Jesus told. It's the story that Jesus lived. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, That whoever believes in him won't perish in a pigsty, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's a story in which the one through whom all things were made comes into the world to make it. New. The words of the song, oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless, and I'd add, relentless love of God. Excuse me a moment. It's the man flu, I promise, I swear. Man flew. Well, if you've uh, been with us in recent weeks, you'll know we're journeying through scripture in our So Love series, examining the big story of the Bible as the story of God's immense and unrelenting love for the world and its people. If you've just joined us, you can catch up on the series on YouTube or through our podcasts. Just search uh, for New Vine Church on your favorite platform. But we started out six weeks ago setting the scene that even before there was a world, a universe, a cosmos, anything, there was a Father, Son and Spirit, one God, existing eternally in the loving, other honouring, self-giving relationships of God, the three in one. By the way, this is the ancient Celtic uh, triquetra, you might recognise it. That tries to depict the, the threeness and oneness of God and, and the ring woven through the center represents eternity. And then John Adia uh, helped us, thanks John again, helped us to see creation of all that is as an act and expression of that same love. As God the Father creates the world through His Word, a cryptic reference, if you like, to Jesus, who as the Son or Word of God, was with God, John's Gospel tells us, and was God in the beginning. And through this word, this speaking out from himself, from his love, God creates a world, a universe of wonder and abundance and beauty and bounty and goodness. And then in week three, we spoke about how The high God, sorry, how the high point of God's creative work is to bring forth into that world a special creature, the the human being, who together as male and female bear the sacred image of God, God's own royal family likeness and line. The royal sons and daughters of God intended to rule lovingly over the earth with God's own wisdom and goodness. But then we saw, with the help of Isaac in week four, The failure and fall of those same sons and daughters of God, whose self-centeredness sullies their own nature and relationships and spoils the good creation, bringing with it violence, suffering, and the sins of innumerable sorts. But God's love is such that He cannot and does not abandon His prodigal children, but sets in motion a promise and a plan. The plan is to restore both his creature and his creation. And so he makes a promise to Abraham that in time all nations on earth would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And then God repeats the promise to Abraham's descendants who eventually find themselves an oppressed ethnic minority in Egypt that God delivers out of slavery and sets them apart with the intention that they would be a nation of priests in the world in anticipation of God's blessing and choosing of people from all nations and ethnicities today. People like you and me. And then last week, AJ spoke about God's gift to Israel and us all of order and shalom or peace and flourishing given through the the kings, the priests and prophets of the Old Testament, all in a provisional way, in anticipation of the great king, priest and prophet who was to come, who would fulfill all the promises to Abraham and Israel by bringing about the true Shalom. And that brings us to this week, as we move out of the Old Testament, in this grand kind of epic overarching story of the Bible, We move out of the Old Testament, that sort of first three quarters of our Bible, into the New Testament. Now while the New Testament only makes up about a quarter of our Bible, just like in a game of uh, AFL, uh, it's what happens in the final quarter which determines the outcome of the whole game plan, as it did last night for Geelong, who were behind the whole match until the last quarter and they won a, a game. Uh, should have brought my Geelong beanie to supplement my, my dad beanie there. And for followers of Jesus, the, the final quarter is the main story. And it's only understood, however, against the backstory. That's why we've been journeying for the last five weeks or so through the Old Testament. Because that gives us the backstory to the main story of what happens in the final quarter. And here we find that for God so loved... He both sent and came. And in fact, God so loved that His Son became flesh like you and I. So for just about 10 minutes or so today, I want to focus on the second half of the text, which John Adia uh, looked at, referenced earlier in the series, where he looked at John 1 verse 1 onwards. We're going to look a little bit further down the text at John 1, 14 to 18 which Libby and Josh uh, read for us this morning uh, in preparation for Communion. This is a remarkable passage. It's been called the most profound passage in all of Scripture. And although it can seem a little bit cryptic uh, at first, we find here, in a nutshell, a summary of the whole story of God's love, of the whole Old Testament packed in here like a recap at the start of a new episode on Netflix. And shining through it all is a highly condensed summary of the overwhelming lengths to which God went to win back His prodigal sons and daughters. Now, with more time, we could look at this whole passage, uh, which is full of riches. Some of them seem a little bit hidden on the surface, these references back to the story in Genesis and Exodus to the temple and so on. But today, let's just focus on a few of the headlines. Now, if you're new to the Bible, our English translation uh, is just that. It's a translation like an overdubbed movie. In this case, the original language was an ancient street style of Greek called common or Koine Greek. And it can be helpful just a little bit at times to dig into some of what gets lost in the translation. And here, the Greek behind the word became flesh is this phrase, Hologos Saks And Saks here uh, means uh, human existence, human life, human being. Hologos uh, is the word. And as John Adia talked about some weeks ago, there's a long history to this term, both in Greek philosophy and Jewish thought, which we won't go into here. But against those backgrounds, John here is adding new meaning to this term. He's taking this term with all of its background in those two traditions in which he's embedded. He's drawing in meaning, but then he's giving a whole new meaning to this term, the word. And John adds this meaning by identifying the ancient idea with a human being. A living, flesh and blood person. And he identifies the word with Jesus by saying that the eternal speaking of God, the same word which God spoke out, creating all things, that same eternal word became flesh, embodied in a human being. Now, if you've read this, heard preaching on it many times, grown up with this idea, familiarity can kind of steal away the wonder of what is packed into these four little words. Hologos, sarx egeneto, or the word became flesh. So let's just pause for just a moment on those four little words. Because as I've said, this is one of the most profound declarations in all of Scripture. The God who existed before there was a world. The God who dreamed and spoke the very fabric of life and matter. The particles which make up atoms, which make up hundreds of billions of stars and solar systems and planets which populate the known universe. The one who made matter and made that matter matter by making you and I. The God of those things the things that we haven't even yet discovered yet, all the mysteries of the universe, that we're only just starting to scratch the surface of understanding through all of our scientific and astrophysics endeavors. That God, that creator, the one who sustains every particle in every nanosecond of time, the God of unfathomable light and life and abundance and beauty, has spoken, and He has spoken our language, the language of human life, language that we can not only hear, but we can see, that we can touch, that we can see living out God in the flesh, in our own kind of lives. The one through whom all is created becomes a creature. There is no Marvel movie, there's no sci-fi series, and there's no dark matter experiment down a mine shaft in Victoria that can propose a marvel or a mystery or a wonder as profound as this, in these four simple words. The Word became flesh. And that Word not only became flesh, John says, but made His dwelling among us. Now, dwelling, made His dwelling here, is literally pitched His tent. Uh, Or in kind of more everyday Aussie, we might say something like, came camping. This Word came camping among us. But what John's really getting at is this. Not just that he came camping, but it's this idea that Jesus tabernacled among us. Now, tabernacled. Who's used the word tabernacle this week? It's, uh, it's kind of a strange, old-fashioned word, isn't it? But not if you are a first-century Jew, if you were a first-century Jew, not a 21st-century Aussie, you would immediately think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Numbers and Deuteronomy, where the place of God's presence was believed to have dwelt among His people. And it's the same word that John uses in Greek one, or the same root word the word behind the word, as in Greek uh, translations of the Old Testament, for this place of God's dwelling among his people. So when John says the word tabernacled amongst us, what he's saying is that when the word becomes flesh, that man, Jesus, becomes the dwelling of God among his people. Jesus is God incarnate, we say, both human and divine, the one who's come to bridge the gap between humanity and God in himself. Even before the cross, which is the high point of the story, of the gospel story, even before the cross, God was in Christ reconciling himself to the world by joining his divine nature, to our human nature, bringing the two which had been at odds together in one reconciled setting, the person of Jesus. Jesus comes to bridge the gap between God and a humanity which has turned its back on him, which is set out to make its own way in the world, down a path of its own choosing, beyond the short Term pleasures of bright lights and backstreet bars, has ended up in the mess and mark of slops and scraps. And because he is God's dwelling place, it means uh, for John that we have seen his glory. And the word for glory here, doxa, it can mean kingly majesty or divine magnificence which reinforces the idea of Jesus being this new tabernacle, the place of God's glory on earth, if you like. And if we had time, we could look at all the passages in John, which demonstrates the kind of fully divine nature of Jesus, as well as the fact that He was born and grew and grew tired and slept and wept and bled like any of us do. So He's both fully divine and fully human. But what John's really telling us here, even in this very dense, short, succinct opening passage, is simply this, that when we look at the human face of Jesus, we are looking into the human face of God. One more word on glory, though. In John's gospel, glory isn't the kingly majesty in ways we might think of kings and queens, of pomp and pageantry today. In John's gospel, the glory of Jesus is manifest not in a crown, but on a cross. It is in his crucifixion that Jesus radiates God's glory. The glory of utter self-giving love, as these authors have said. And that, of course, is the theme of our series So that's the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And again, this phrase briefly, one and only, monogenes in the Greek. It's a phrase which many scholars of this text and of Greek and of the New Testament now believe is a little misleading. Some have proposed that better is the translation, the unique one highlighting that Jesus is one of a kind. Now, I won't go into all the reasons and all the debate around that, but if you've ever wondered where the idea that God is a trinity, three in one, comes from, here at least is part of that picture, because we see here that Jesus came from the Father, and yet is, is distinct from the Father. So, Jesus and the Father are not the same thing, and nor is Jesus a second God beside the Father. I'm getting a little theological here, but in other words, we aren't tritheists believing in three gods. Rather, as verse 18 says, while no one's ever seen God, the one and only Son, the monogamous, the, the unique one, who is closest in relationship with the Father, who as John says elsewhere in verse 1, not only was with God, but was God, that Son has made Him known. For only God can make God known to us, and yet He does so, speaking our language. And so Jesus, then, is the story of the love of God, told to us by God, in the flesh and life of this most unique of human beings, Jesus Nazareth, uh, the Word made flesh. But it's also the story of our older brother, a brother who, unlike the angry brother of the original parable, will not leave the prodigals to perish in the pigsty, nor us the grace given by the Father when we return home, apologetic and ashamed. Rather, it's the story of the one who willingly comes, sent by the Father, conceived by the Spirit, of one heart, mind and will, with the Heavenly Father searching for us, seeking after us to take our place and to see us safely home to the Father, no matter what the cost. For our Father is one of great wealth and immense love. All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless, relenting, unrelenting, Love of God. So, how shall we respond knowing the lengths to which God the Father and God the Son have gone to win and woo us home? Well, we can respond in wonder. To worship is to wonder aloud. At the grace and goodness of God, to respond with gratitude to that unrelenting love towards us. It's to speak our own words in response to His word to us. And so we'll worship again in just a few minutes, if the worship team could join us now in readiness. We respond to this wonder of the Word made flesh in worship, but also in witness. And just as Jesus is the embodiment of God's great love to us, we too can embody the good news of that love to those around us. We can live it. We can tell it. We can demonstrate it in our lives. Knowing the inconceivable lengths to which God went to be present among us, what lengths might we be willing to go to to be present in the messy, mucky worlds of our neighbours, our friends, our family, our community. What links will we go to for the love of God? What's our ministry of presence in our community? How can we take the walls off this church, Our So Love series is just kind of one provocation to do that. It's an attempt to sort of spur us all on, myself included. I need that constant reminder to move out of my bubble, the bubble of my life and my concerns, and all of my important commitments my family commitment, my work commitment. But it's a provocation, a reminder to me that I also need to be present outside the walls of this church. And outside the barricades of our modern homes, to which we often draw up the drawbridge, don't we? How is it that we can be present as individuals and as the church in our community? It's really the heart of this series in a way. But I hope that you'll see today there's the heart of God to be present in places. That are messy and mucky, places where the prodigals have run to. So let me just give you a couple of application questions before we worship in wonder again today. And the first is what what, what can you do this week? In fact, what will you do to this week to stir up again that sense of wonder? and worship at the width and the length and the height and the depths of Christ's love as Paul puts it in Ephesians. Because it's out of our own worship, it's out of our own overflowing sense of gratitude and love that we're then compelled to witness to that great love to the world around us. So secondly, where can you go What might you do intentionally this week? What decision can you make today about how you can be present, perhaps in a new place, where you can embody the love of Jesus with words when appropriate, without words if that's not possible? Is there a dark place that the Spirit might be prompting you to commit today to going. If you're, a, if you're a visitor, feel free to sit this out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, take a moment to ask, you, ask the Spirit now to put on your heart and your mind a place which needs the embodied love and light of Jesus Christ, and you're someone who can go there. Maybe it's something you've been putting off doing, a place you've put off going, or a person that you've put off reaching out to, or something that just comes to your mind, maybe even for the first time to think, I could join that group or I could serve in that way, wherever that might be. Just take a moment. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today about those places, those people, those things give us the ears to hear how we might embody your love and the good news of your love through a ministry of presence by becoming like those who need to know you And then, maybe here's a practical kind of pointy end on that. Um, The final kind of application question I have for us today is Thursday this week, September the 8th, is Are You Okay Day? Maybe a question is Who can you check in on this week to embody a ministry of God's loving presence to them, to check that they're okay, to let them know that they are cared for, appreciated, loved, so loved by someone, by you, and by their Heavenly Father? who went to staggering lengths to let them know. To whom can you be the voice of that love this week? That through Christ, the light of the world, who stepped down out of darkness, who all for love's sake became poor, Think on those questions as we as we sing and worship now.